For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. It doesn't seem wise to pick a fight with the Lord, but that's exactly what the new king of Babylon did. He throws a wild party and toasts his detestable deities with the golden goblets that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord's response is fast and furious. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Writing on the Wall. Well, the world quotes from Daniel chapter 5 without even knowing it when they refer to the handwriting on the wall, right? Because that's exactly where that idiom comes from. Uh, The meaning, of course, is uh, some kind of impending doom that should have been obvious uh, and predictable, especially to the person who's acting foolishly. Uh, So, you know... For example, a guy is drinking too much and he's flirting around and everybody kind of sees it except him. And then suddenly you hear that there's a divorce and somebody says, well, he should have known better. He should have seen the writing on the wall. And thank you, Daniel, chapter five for that. Now, um, we use the expression uh, figuratively, of course, but the original circumstance is uh, very literal. A mysterious message is written on the plaster, on the wall. The king will need Daniel's help to find out exactly uh, what it means. And so it's a great chapter tonight. Uh, when Daniel's called in now, just so you know, uh, he, he will appear, but he will have gray hair. Now, uh, four chapters, not a lot of chapters to go from about age 18 to 75, And so a lot of years have gone by. You know, in Daniel, we really just have a few instances of what life was like. So the half has not been told. Oh, that's what eternity is for. We're going to hear a lot of those stories. You know what John wrote at the end of his gospel? If we wrote down everything that we could have written about Jesus, what he said and what he'd done, uh, the whole world would not be able to contain the books. Right? And so uh, I look forward to hearing those stories myself. And so um, the context for tonight, before we dive into uh, chapter 5, is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, or shall we call him Brother Nebuchadnezzar, because he got saved last chapter in an awesome, humbling way. Now here in chapter 5, he's gone on to his reward, as we say. He's passed from the scene. He reigned over the Babylonian Empire for 43 years, and then he passed away. Now, some years have passed here in chapter 5, and various sons of his were raised up to be on the throne, but the sons were killing and murdering one another for that position. And so we're down to about the third son here tonight in chapter 5. And and so uh, this wicked son... Uh, doesn't really, could, could, couldn't care less about his father, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, miraculous uh, testimony and, and, and Christian conversion. Uh, he's not going to live that way. He's going to do his own thing. Uh, but it's time for him and the Babylonians to read the writing on the wall. Verse 1. King Belshazzar is his name. This is Nebuchadnezzar's son gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem some almost 60 years earlier so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, his mistresses, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, his mistresses drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, 
iron, wood, and stone. Now, if you're taking notes, you could put number one. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I have just written down, bad move indeed. The, the king's provocation. Now, the provocation just means to pick a fight. To pick a fight with God? That's just plain dumb. I'm sorry, I don't have any other way to say that. Now, it's kind of an in-your-face provocation to the Lord, which the Lord does not take kindly. Um, a 19th century philosopher, Hegel, said the only thing that we've learned from history is just that we don't learn from history. And, and Belshazzar uh, displays one of those ugliest uh, sinful traits of all. He's unteachable. He's unteachable. It didn't matter that his father had kind of the most dramatic conversion to God in the whole Old Testament, maybe the whole Bible. It didn't matter. He wasn't going to let that affect his self-centered living. And so uh, some things that are, are very essential to really understand uh, what's going on in this chapter. Now, this tragedy could have been avoided, all right? So... Uh, not only did this king and the people of Babylon need to read the writing on the wall, they, could, they needed to read the, the scriptures. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 50 and 51 described this whole scene in prophecy. Listen to what Jeremiah said. Babylon would be attacked from the north. He just kind of names the region that's coming in, the Medes and the Persians, right? Uh, he, he reveals how they're going to do it. They're going to come up through the water, uh, aqueducts into the city that they were so proud of, all their tiered layers and all of that. Um, uh, they loved the, that Babylon, Jeremiah says, would make the mistake of trusting in its um, walls, its enormous walls. Some of them were 300 feet tall. They were 22 uh, feet thick. They were huge, and they had these uh, gates of uh, bronze, and, and they just thought, there's a, it, it's the, their motto, their city was a, a, a city that not even God could conquer, all right? Not even God could get into that city. You know, kind of like the Titanic, that one builder said, this is a boat that not even God could sink. You don't see those kinds of things. <laughs> That's kind of poking him in the eye, you know, kind of thing. And so, you know, they could have read the Bible. They had, hey, if you can get into the temple and steal the goblets of gold, you could get into the temple and take some scriptures too. Uh, right? Amen? Yeah. Well, they didn't. So, so get this. Here's, here's what Jeremiah says. He says, at a critical time, there'll be a big drunken party. And it will be in progress with all the nobles and notables present. And that drunken party would lead to their destruction. Just read the Bible. That's what I try to tell people. Just read the Bible. It will save you a lot of trouble. <laughs> so so uh, one writer said, Belshazzar typifies many in the world with their self-deluded estimates of their own secure position. How many of them could be adequately warned and set on the true path of safety if only they take heed to the scriptures, not to mention their own consciences? So right on time, here come the Medes from the north and the Persians. Remember that statue? If I could get that statue. It's time for the head of gold to change into the chest and the arms of silver. And that would be the Persians. And so uh, whenever you, you hear about the Persian Empire, you're going to hear Medo-Persian. Because the Medes were kind of the northern Persians or the northern Iranians. Iranians, all right? And the Persians are more properly the Iranians from the south. But they're together. So you have the Mede is Darius of the famous Daniel in the lion's den. He's on the throne, but he's a Mede. That's coming up next chapter. And then Cyrus, who repatriates the Jews back to Israel, is a Persian. 
but they're together. They're working together. Okay, but so they're already prophesied as coming in. And in fact, did you know that they're parked outside right now? No, no, here. Uh, they're, 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 they could be, actually, the way the world is going. It is Iran. Um, at, 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 while this party is going on, they're under siege. And they're having the party to kind of show, hey, we're so secure, we can throw a party right now. So uh, the Iranian armies are building siege ramps right now, trying to get in. And history says that they were taunting at the party. They're hanging over the trellises, taunting them and saying, there's no way you guys are ever going to get in here. And they're all drinking and partying, as, as uh, you have seen. These guys were just dangerous. Uh, and they were hungry to rule the world, and they're closing in, they're parked outside, and they're just laughing at them, and they're enjoying their time. So meanwhile, inside, the stage is being set for disaster. Uh, Verses three and four, it's time to toast the gods, right? So I guess, you know, they're going to pour out libations. A libation is a drink offering you would pour out to the deity, right? And so in his drunken bravado, Uh, He comes up with a novel way to entertain everybody and bolster. See, they're outside, so they all know, hey, there's an army outside trying to get in here. Well, let's just take out the trophies to remind ourselves of our great Iranian gods who delivered us from that Yahweh God, right? So let's go out and get the trophies that remind us, look who we beat. We beat that Yahweh, God of heaven and earth guy, right? And so let's all have this drunken, immoral, it's called debauchery in the New Testament, right? This moral, another word we don't use, dissipation, just this moral unraveling. And let's toast and cheer on our gods who are the enemy of that Yahweh God. And so that's what they're doing there. Who is like the mighty Babylonians and their mighty gods? And, and so uh, here's what one writer said. Daniel lists their gods for what they were, the gods of nothingness. The Babylonians were mocking the living God and who held their breath in his very hands by praising gods that were lifeless, inanimate objects as helpful as a pile of dirt or a chopped down tree. All right, let's move on. So while they're drinking and getting drunk and wasted and all of that, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Big baby. The king called out for the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, the the magi, whoever reads this writing, it tells me what it means, will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I'm not kidding around, boys. Verse 8. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So the king, Belshazzar, became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Okay, so we've had the king's provocation. Now we have the Lord's response. So, you know, Belshazzar, he picked a bad moment in history to provoke the Lord. You know, some, some things that people do... They're evil and stupid and dumb, but then on top of that, it's, the, it's bad timing, too. Ananias and Sapphira, really a bad moment in church history to, to try to let the devil infiltrate the, the first church. There was no other church. There wasn't a church across town. There was one church on earth that was just starting one church on the planet. And Ananias and Sapphira were in there. They're going to do their thing. We want everybody to love us, and we're going to be hypocrites, and we're going to spread this and just ruin this church. And God says, oh, 
No, you won't. And I'm going to use you as an example. You know, just bad timing, too, you know. <laughs> I don't recommend ever doing anything that Ananias and Sapphira did. But, you know, this was a bad timing move because it was time for the neck of gold to go to the next kingdom. So uh, he just gave God a reason, you know, na, 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 na. And God said, oh, thank you. <laughs> so did he not get the memo? Did, uh, do you know what I'm talking about, the memo? Let me read Nebuchadnezzar, his father's memo that he sent to the world. Let me read it to you. King Nebuchadnezzar, this dude's father, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language. He's sending a memo out to the world. To everyone who lives in the world, May you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is the eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Then he tells his story. He says how God humbled him through temporary seven years insanity. And when he submitted himself to God, his sanity was restored and his kingdom was multiplied. And, and then he ends his testimony with these words. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, hey, what do you think you're doing? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, my son, he's able to humble. What did he do with that memo? He, he, we're going to find out. He knows way more than he's letting on to. All right. So uh, it's never for a want of more information for unbelievers, it's a willingness. It's an unwillingness, I should say, to trust in the Lord. Uh, it's a lack of faith, not a lack of information. He knows. Now, I want to call your attention to verse 5 in the word suddenly. It is used so many times to describe judgment, most specifically the second coming or what the Old Testament and the New Testament calls the day of the Lord. It's the Armageddon, it's the tribulation, it's the end of the world. And that word suddenly is always used. And, and what, when Jesus says in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, behold, I come quickly, that's the word. And, and quickly there doesn't mean like soon in time. It means once it starts, there's no delay. It's, it's a flash. There's no turning back. The door of the ark shuts. Done. It's over. But it's slammed in one second. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52 says, in a moment, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. The second coming, when he comes for the church, the door shuts, and it's fast. The word there means speedily, without delay, with sudden, fast fury. And so it often is the case with sinning. Sometimes ruination is a slow and steady decline, but often it strikes like lightning. And so here, here it comes. I like what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, while people are, are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Such is the case, Suddenly. Suddenly. So verse 5 comes without a lot of fanfare. You know, the fingers just appear on a disembodied hand, and it begins to writing. And, and it writes four words. Two, two words are, one, one word is doubled. So there's really three words, but there's four of them because one is a repeat. Um, and so I imagine the scene. The hand is seen, and, and it's blazing the words on the wall, and the musicians drop their stringed instruments and their tambourines. Everybody's staring. Wides, wide eyes, mouth open, 
The dancing girls are standing still and the waiters have dropped their trays and the loud, cackling, irreverent laughter has stopped. And in the Aramaic, it says about his legs knocking, it says that his, his hips were loosed. His hip joints came undone. If only his heart and his stubbornness could have been unhinged in, in such a way. Uh, but his legs are, 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 are knocking and wobbling. He's, you know, can you imagine? You know, everyone's staring at this message from, from above, from heaven, you know? And the three words are there. You know what's nice is, uh, oh, and here's the deal with the three words. The three words are in Aramaic, but they don't have the vowels. So in Hebrew and Aramaic, you need a second set of vowels. You can write the consonants without the vowels. If the vowels are missing, you don't, the words can go several different ways. You can kind of figure out which way they could go, but you know, it's kind of like a word game appeared, right? So you can plug in the vowels. He needed somebody to come and tell me, plug in the vowels and tell me what this means because it's, it, it's enough to know the general idea, but not enough to be able to apply it because it could go in several different ways. So he calls in the guys, and strategy number one, which we've seen before, you know, call in the psychics and the sorcerers and the astrologers for a reading. Well, a literal reading, right? So can you read this? Well, uh, they, they all say together, I don't know. You know. So they call in the guys, listen to this, he calls in the guys who will relieve his fears, calm his conscience by telling him sweet little lies, whatever he wants to hear. Pagans who don't know the God of the Hebrews aren't going to be able to interpret a message from the God of the Hebrews. You know, don't even tell me that he doesn't know Daniel. We'll find out he knows it. He knows the whole story. But right now he's not in the mood for, uh, you know, it's kind of like the presidents of the past had Billy Graham always at the right. When there was a crisis in this nation, for decades, Billy was there. Daniel was the Billy Graham. And, and, and I'll tell you what, wait, it, by the way, Billy Graham's not the right-hand guy now. There's other guys to fill in that place. But I digress. I want to digress more than I'm digressing, but I'm not. Now, don't want, uh, he doesn't want a sermon, he wants a sorcerer. Calling for Franklin or Billy or anybody else like that. You know, that's why I'm not serving my father's God, you know? And, and so I'll pay that grown-up Harry Potter handsomely, you know? <laughs> Harry Potter is a sorcerer, okay? Sorry. Grown-up. So kind of like, this is what he's doing. It's kind of like pulling out those liberal, unsaved theologians at Christmas and Easter to tell us in search of the true Jesus. Okay, so they come out with all the letters after their names, and, and Time Magazine and Newsweek, they all have a picture of Jesus, and some guy's going to write this in-depth article about really how to understand this whole thing. But he's not a believer. And there are really, really, really smart believers who could tell you, actually, why don't you just open the book and read it? It's not that hard, but see, that's what he's going to do. Who can read this for you? Just get a, the Long Island medium in here, and she can perhaps, sorry, tell you about this. And so, listen, I'm going to go on here for a little bit. It's like taking a Christian theme or a biblical theme and making a movie, but doing it with an unbeliever at the helm. Now, when you do things like that, here's what you're going to get with Noah, all right? <laughs> you're going to get, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a dark, disturbed psychopath for Noah. That's what you're going to get. I don't know if you've seen this, but please don't. Number two, you're going to get the main problem with the world was the environment abuse. <laughs> That's what you're going to get when an, 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 a sorcerer 
or a pagan, an unbeliever, is interpreting the words that come down from heaven. They say, I don't know, just let's make it up. And so let's have two of the wives of the sons not get on the boat. And instead, we'll have a stowaway. And not only that, the bad guys, the Nephilim, will help build the ark. They're the, actually the good guys in the story. They're not the bad guys. Oh, you know what? So uh, we've seen this before. I mean, we've seen this after, right? We've seen that after. How about, okay, Exodus. Without faith, from somebody who's trying to tell you what the, the words in Hebrew really mean, let me tell you what it means. It, it means God is a, a dirty-faced 10-year-old boy with a bad attitude. Maybe you have not seen the new latest Exodus movie with Moses. Oh, don't. (laughs) Moses isn't even saved through most of the movie. You're just wanting Moses to get saved. You know, he heard Noah and Moses, two of God's greatest heroes, painted as idiots as hard-hearted people who don't have any faith. That's what you're going to get when you call in pagans and say, tell me what the Hebrew means. Oh, we don't know. We're just going to make stuff up so we can make some money. All right, I'm done. (laughs) Do you not agree with that? I, I, thank you. Well, you've been quiet. How am I supposed to know? Read your minds? All right, let's move on. 10 through 16. The queen, the queen hearing, the queen has enough sense. What's his name? Belshazzar's mama, who was married to the Christian convert, Nebuchadnezzar, has enough sense not to go to her son's drunken, immoral fest. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came in because she wasn't there, because she has a brain. Oh, king, live forever, she says. Don't be alarmed. Don't be so pale. My son, there's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. I love that line. Do you hear her? Your father. I say your father, king. Oh, I love her. I say... Appointed him the chief. He was the head honcho. Remember, he was the Billy Graham. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, similar to their names because it's praising the pagan deity, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. Call for the Christian. Call for the Hebrew who believes in the Hebrew God that is writing the Hebrew on the wall, and he'll tell you what the writing means. So Daniel's brought him before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king brought from Judah? Oh, come on, one of the exiles. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, blah, 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 blah. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me and they to tell me what it means, that they couldn't explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretation, solve difficult problems. If you can read this and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. All right, let's stop there. All right, so we've got... The king's provocation, the Lord's response, the writing on the wall, and now Daniel to the rescue. So this is just a quick little point here. Uh, Perhaps they had never met, um, but certainly he knows all about him and where he could find him. Uh, And he's not, uh, this Belshazzar, he's not the first sinner to ever play dumb. All right, he's playing really, really like, oh, wow, this is all new stuff for me. But we're going to find out when Daniel lays into him. We're going to find out the truth of how much he knew. Um, So mom hears the catastrophe unfolding 
Uh, she told the situation. You know what's strange to me is I think she might think it might not be all that bad news. Look at verses 10 and 11. Um, she's like, she sounds awful happy. You know, oh, no worries, king, long life and all of that. You know, hey, there's a Jew, one of the exiles from, uh, you know, where your father picked up the goblets. And while he was there picking up the goblets, he also picked somebody else up. Daniel, and he serves the God you were mocking. Oh, you remember the goblets, king? Well, well, when your dad got the goblets, he also got this guy. And this guy knows the God and serves the God that you're mocking with the goblets. So I suggest you just bring him in. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Daniel's brought in, and where was he, you know, uh, Commentators say he was probably semi-retired um, at the time, um, and they just brought him in. I think he was praying. He prayed three times a day. We find that out next chapter. Um, I think he was praying and reading Jeremiah 50 and 51, <laughs> and uh, he just comes in. He's all ready to go. Verses 13 through 16, uh, the king's letting Daniel know just how serious this whole deal is. Hey, if you're as good as they say you are, old man, and solve my dilemma, you'll be moving into the palace. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for you, the king and tell him what it means. Oh, king, let me just tell you the story. <laughs> The Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Last week we heard all about it. Until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself Though you knew all this, instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. Certainly, somebody wasn't in the hallway telling them all this, right? God, this is all just fresh download from the Holy Spirit. It's pretty cool. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and, the, and, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. This is what these words mean. Mene, God's numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is a root word. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Wow. All right, so here comes the interpretation. Let's talk about it. Uh, Daniel gives him a little bit more than what the king's asking for, and he does it for less money, too. Um, so verse 17, you know, yeah, I'm not interested in your gifts or your promotions, okay, because you can't buy the, the favor of God. You know, what is it with... You know, one of the sorcerers in, in the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 8, where um, the fortune teller, the psychic guy, looks at Philip, who's laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh, that's so cool. Hey, how much? Tell me how much money you want. I'll give it to you. And then you give me that ability so that whoever I lay hands on, they'll get filled with the Spirit too. And Philip said, May you and your money perish together, thinking that you can buy God's favor. Oh, this is just terrible. So he says, listen, I, I'm going to answer you, but 
I'm not interested in, I serve the Hebrew God who you've been mocking and he takes good care of me. Um, but I, I'll tell you what it means. More important, I'm going to tell you uh, how it came to this tragedy. So Daniel looks at the wall. He sees the Aramaic puzzle, missing the vowels. And right away, the Holy Spirit just fills in the vowels for him. And he gives him uh, three words. And the three words really say this. And I have them for you. Just three words. Numbered, weighed, divided. Now, even if he could figure that out, what does that mean? Right? Now, the positive thing is, is that he does have a conscience because he, he may not know what, exactly what it means, but he knows it doesn't look good. And the reason why he doesn't look good is because he has a conscience and the Holy Spirit's holding uh, his conscience to the fire. So there, there's something good there. There's some hope. I mean, he could have just said, kill him, right? That's what kings did. I don't like what he just said, kill him, and they would have killed him. He doesn't do that, right? So, so that's good. So, so he says, let's start at the beginning. The Most High God gave your father worldwide fame and honor. He had the power to do whatever he pleased. Whatever he said, that goes. But he became ruined by pride. He's telling the story. He lost his mind. He lived outside with the wild animals. He was a raving madman for seven years until he submitted his life to the Lord and God restored him. And then the, the, the huge thing, although you as his son knew all, not parts, you knew all of this. You haven't humbled yourself like your father did. Instead of honoring God, you've challenged him to a duel in front of all these people. You brought in the goblets, toasted your gods to your apparent victory over him. And the Lord got your message loud and clear. And here's his response to your picking a fight with him. He wrote it on the wall. Numbered, weighed, divided. And here's what it means. Numbered. God's got your number and you've come up short. Number two. Weighed. God's put you on the scale and you come up light. Therefore, divided. He's divided your kingdom. He's really destroying him or dispersing his reign, uh, he's divided it up to the Medes and to the Persians. It wouldn't be divided. It would have been just kind of unraveled. But since there are two regions, he's saying, I'm dividing what was yours into uh, their hands. And, you know, P.S., the party's over. Um, so going over his life choices, uh, it reminds me of, I, this is what I thought of. I thought of, I read this, I thought of Revelation 20. The aspect of the great white throne judgment after a thousand years, all the wicked dead who died from the beginning to the end are resurrected. And they stand before something called a great white throne. And what reminded me of it was the truthful rendition of the life and the choices. It just, it rings so true that he says, give the man a prize, get, put the gold chain on him, clothe him in purple, just give him the promotion. We don't know how, exactly how that came about. It was going to last for three hours anyway. Um, but at that great white throne, it says that this majestic presence is there, God, and it says that there's no, there's no, there's no place. There's no, there's no hiding is the concept. And, and it says the books are open. And from the books, they are judged by the deeds recorded in the books. Who, who would be thinking that heaven is, is keeping a watchful eye and recording things? Now, now no born-again Christian stands at that judgment. We have a different judgment. It, no, it doesn't end in condemnation. It can end in reward or loss of reward, but you will be saved. The great white throne, you ever come to and find, see a great white throne, it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah, a good, I mean, there are, there's, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, so many, Mene, Mene, Teko, Parson, the bill is due, um, all your sins, uh, we only take cash, and you don't have the funds. Uh, your reign as king of your life 
has come to an end. Now, I wrote down here, I just wrote down here, I'll tell you what I wrote. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, when Jesus washed all my sins away. You know, I've probably got as many sins as that guy. I mean, if you count them all, I mean, I didn't get saved till I was 19, and I, I mean, nobody stops completely sinning. There's a lot of sins, and they're all washed away. They're all removed and lifted off of me, and I will never see them again. Instead, I'm connected in, in an honorable way to the Lord. Oh, man, I am so happy. You know, numbered. Yeah, he's going to say three things to me. Numbered. Your sins were numbered and put on Christ. Weighed. Your burdens were weighed and carried by him. Divided. Because of that, he divides his kingdom with you. It says in the word of God, you, as a believer, will reign and rule with him forever. You will reign. You are going to reign with him. That's, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm running out of words here. When, you know, a little devotional thing, a little poem, it said, instead of, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin, we hear, come my child and enter in. You know, just beautiful. Last three verses. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, gold chain was placed around his neck, you know, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, who loves Daniel. He's the guy who just didn't want to see Daniel put in the lion's den, but I digress. Next week, we'll talk about it at 6.30. And Darius the Mede, <laughs> and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So let's just wrap up our thoughts, a quick sudden fulfillment of those three words in a few hours. Now, the great thing for me is hopefully, you know, Belshazzar pulled a thief on the cross last moment. You know, I'm changing my mind like the thief on the cross. I don't know if you realize this. I mentioned the thief on the cross a lot. But do you realize that in one gospel, it, there's only two thieves. On Jesus in the middle, there are two thieves. And both thieves are hurling insults in the beginning. So this dude wasn't a nice guy from the beginning. He was condemned. He was an unbeliever. He was just as bad as the other dude, and they were both heaping insults on Jesus. And one of them just has a change of heart. And it's a last-second thing. But you know what? It was enough. This day you'll be in paradise with me. You know. So on his way to his bedchamber, uh, so while the party's going on, the Medo-Persian Navy SEALs, all right, uh, uh, are, and here's how they got in. Jeremiah tells you how they got in. God caused the Euphrates River to recede so that they could get up under the water and into the aqueducts. That's power. When you could just say, you know, Euphrates, I need you to back up a little bit. I need you to just kind of... That's awesome. How much could he just help you with your practical problems? So he could speak to a river and say, I need you to just not go so high this time. You know, it's unbelievable, beautiful. And so they come up through the aqueducts and while they're partying, they're shimmying up. A good movie would cut to them, you know, dressed in black, covered, you know, going up there. And while he's laughing and throwing it back and, oh, yeah. Now, if we could get a spirit-filled believer to do that movie, we might actually get edified by it. So, yeah, there's hope. It's positive, like I said, that he didn't just kill the guy on the spot. You know, Daniel was honored. And, um, but, you know, within a, just a few hours, the guy's either made, did he make it to the side of his bed? Kneel down. And say, my mom, my mom's, Lord, my mom's words tonight about your father, your father. I say to you, your father. That just cut me. 
And the words came back to me, and I remembered Dad's whole thing and just saved this horrible mess. Oh, he could have. He might have. Well, no. We'll find out. We will. So what's my takeaway? Here's my takeaway. It doesn't take a whole lot of sense to know the world. Our world cannot go on very much longer in this condition. Can we read the writing on the wall? And, and, and if we can't read the writing on the wall, then who, who is? I'm asking you because a lot of Christians walk around like Mr. Magoo with, with big, thick glasses, and they're listening to the same news I am, and I'm hearing the end of the world. I am telling you this. Just listen to me. We are past the point of any return. There is no way this world is going backwards. This world has crossed lines. You have, you have megalomaniac dictators who all have either a nuclear weapon or they're making one. China, China, South, South Korea, Pakistan, the Iranians, these guys that we're talking about. And all of our relationships are strained. There's threats every day in the news. China's saying push back or it's a threat of war. This is just this week. Everybody threatening to, to blow each other off the face of the... Uh, it's the writing on the wall. ISIS has displaced three million people in Iraq alone. Three million people tonight are sleeping in tents. Three million with their little babies. They're under tents because they've been pushed out. Because this, this new Islamic wave is coming in. Half of Syria, Syria has fallen. Syria's bordering Israel. And their first objective is going to be to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. America, the beautiful, we've imploded morally, spiritually, economically, $18 trillion in debt. Each taxpayer would owe $150,000. That's a lot of money for each taxpayer in the whole United States. That's what we owe. We can't sustain that. You can't just keep printing money and pretend this isn't going to all implode. It's going to implode. Handwriting is on the wall. Redefining marriage, human sexuality. God made us male and female. And for this reason, he's joined the two together. That's his plan. And now at the basis of humanity, we are telling him, with our drunken goblets and glasses, we're telling you, we can do boy, boy, girl, girl, or whatever we want. And if a boy wants to be a girl, that's his business, or her business, or their business. Come on. Ireland, the Supreme Court, the world, the cities, the mobs, the riots. The writing. Jesus told us it's a book, and I just want to say, please read the writing and be able to interpret it and not live in some world that everything is fine and peace and safety. That's what they're saying. They're unprepared. I'm not an alarmist. I just watch the news. I'm just watching the news and I'm telling you that these things are predicted in the Bible. Come on, pestilences, diseases, Ebola and AIDS are killing millions of people still. Just like the Bible says, earthquakes and tsunamis. Riding, 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 riding. It's there. What does that tell me? Well, it tells me, can I make a difference in somebody's life? Can I, can I get a hold of a Belshazzar? Can I be praying for these people? Can I be holding out the word of life in amidst the crooked and perverse generation in which we shine like stars? I just quoted from Philippians chapter 3. The writing is on the wall. We're here. We're on the brink. What a privilege. And the great falling away. 
your friends, your old pastor friends. Oh, adopting a new gospel, persecuting you for your narrow-mindedness. It's happening. It says that that will happen in the last days, that there'll be a great falling away from truth, and men will only gather teachers who will scratch where they're itching and tell them the things they want to hear to make life more comfortable and convenient for them. Writing on the wall. It's happening. Famous pastors changing the gospel. On top of everything else, martyrdom, churches being torched all over the world, little kids being martyred. I have not made one of those things up. You can go check them out. It's a writing on the wall. And you can read it. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? Are you praying differently? Are you making different choices? What good is the knowledge that we can read the Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson? We get it. That's what's coming to them. What good is knowing how I can read that? If it doesn't affect how you're living, how you're thinking, how you're speaking, how you're behaving. So many people, I, I just see, I see the writing on the wall in reverse. I see people who dropping out of church, going to church when they feel like it, in Christian fellowship, hanging out with the wrong people, the things that they say and do in, on Facebook. And then, and then the, sure enough, you hear, oh, you know, they, they're... They're not a Christian anymore, or they left their husband, or they left their wife. The writing was on the wall there. <laughs> you guys, let's do this. Let's let Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsian affect how we pray, how we live, how we choose, how we think. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love. We, John the Apostle told us, dear children, we are in the last hour. And Lord, we know 2,000 earth years have passed, so surely we're in the last moments. And we just want to be able to, to read the writing on the wall for our own souls, Lord, that we... Uh, would be told, well done, good and faithful servant, but also for a generation of people we are called to serve and to love and to care for, to pray about, to help them. We thank you, Lord, for lighting a fire in our hearts, not about fatalism, but about hope and optimism in the coming of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.